We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 this evening. So we're going through a series of messages called Binary, and we're learning how to be faithful in a world full of flakes. Many people, often today, especially in your age range, my age range, young people in general, we are very, very bad at keeping commitments. And that's because... We base it on our feelings rather than something beyond our feelings. And that's a little bit of what we're talking about this evening. Last week, we were talking about how people make excuses for their, the reason why they didn't commit. Because what they're doing is they're blaming it on unfavorable circumstances. In other words, if the conditions were right, then I would be there for you. But you have to understand that there are things that got in the way. But what we were saying is, it's actually the presence of unfavorable circumstances that show how much you love somebody when you still commit. It's the fact that you showed up at the hospital to be there with your friend, despite the fact that you had to travel two hours to get there, that shows how much you care. And what people do is they use that as a way to get out of a commitment. To say, ah, I would have been there except for the fact that I was really tired. I wanted to hang out, but you know what? I didn't feel good. And we use all these different excuses to say why we couldn't be there for somebody else. But what we wanted to show you is that Jesus, despite the circumstances, showed us how much he loved us by going to the cross to die for us. And when we know how much God is committed to us, and it does not, it does not matter whether you run away, it does not matter whether you sin, even though you're a Christian, that Jesus, if you have committed your life to him, says that he will let no person fall out of his hands. Not one person will be snatched from him. All that the Father draws him, he'll by no means cast out and he'll raise him up to the last day. That God is committed to love you, that not even the powers of hell can separate you from the love of God. And that should in turn motivate us to go and commit ourselves to God and commit ourselves to other people. And so we're going to find a passage that's really, really interesting tonight. Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in this little passage, he actually flakes on the church of Corinth. He says, I'm going to come to you guys not once but twice. He does go there the first time in 1 Corinthians. He says, I'm coming to you quickly. I'm going to come there twice. But what happens in between the, the two is he comes once and then he doesn't come back the second time. And so people got discouraged. Paul, I thought you said that you were committed to us. I thought you were an apostle. Like, you're supposed to be writing portions of the Bible and you flake. So we're going to learn tonight what Paul teaches us about commitment. How it's more than just having a perfect attendance. But you can show up in a person's life and go above and beyond what's asked of you if it's done by love. So let's read this passage and we'll pray. Uh, verse 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, says, Since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, by the way, I'm reading in the NLT tonight, because it seems to be a little bit more um, understandable, at least, I think, for the, the common person, the lay person, for this passage at least. So, I don't normally do that, but I just felt like it'd be better if we read out, read out of the NLT tonight. So it says, since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, I wanted to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice. 
first on my way to Macedonia, and again when I return from Macedonia. Then you could send me on my way to Judea. You may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make my plans carelessly? Do you think I'm like the people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one who Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God, God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through our Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Lord, we pray that you teach us a little bit more about what commitment means this evening, how to be committed to other people, how to be committed to you. And Lord, teach us what it means to love one another, to lay down our lives for our friends as you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, Paul changed his mind, it would seem. Paul didn't show up the second time. What's up with that? And there were people that were critical of Paul. said, ah, do we even know he's an apostle? Do we even know if he's a person with the authority to write portions of Scripture? How do we know that Paul is someone we should listen to, especially when he doesn't have a good track record? And I think often, instead of people looking inside themselves when it comes to the area of faithfulness, they focus on everyone else's failures and everyone else's inconsistency. It's almost like they're lions that are ready to pounce on their prey the moment they trip. People are waiting for you to mess up even once. And maybe you have a friend like this, right? What happens is a person is almost like waiting for you to not show up, to mess up, to not call, to not be there for them. And the second they do, the second they don't show up, or the second that you don't show up, they look at you and say, you see, I knew I, I, knew I couldn't trust you. I knew that I couldn't trust you because you weren't there for me when I needed you. I knew I couldn't trust you because you share my secret with somebody else. And they write you off. As if that one moment, that one failure defines your entire character, who you are as a person. But in actuality, what happens is it was precisely Paul's commitment to the Corinthians that kept him from going the second time. You see, the reason why he didn't go back the second time is because Paul had a mission the first time. If, you're, if you've read the book of 1 Corinthians, the whole time he's basically saying, what are you guys doing? You guys are crazy. Like this church was all kinds of messed up. And we look at it as like, oh, this is the love chapter in this book. It's great. And you, the spiritual gifts, talks about tongues. That's true. It's all in there. But why was it in there? It's because they're whacked out. And Paul says, listen, if you are going to speak in tongues you're going to speak in a different language in the congregation. Can you at least have an interpreter there? Because you're going to have people walk in that are unbelievers and be like, these people are out of their minds. What are they doing? So they're doing all these things. They're getting drunk during communion. There's a guy in the fellowship. Everybody knows he's sleeping with his mother-in-law. And somehow they don't think this is the problem. And Paul is just like, oh my goodness, you people are crazy. But he exhorts them in the best possible way. I would have said you guys are crazy. He doesn't say that. He does it by teaching them the right way. And that's why we, we miss those subtle overtones of what Paul is doing in rebuking them and correcting them. But you see, when he actually did visit the Corinthian church, it was such a sorrowful visit. It broke his heart. 
these people that he loved, that when he rebuked them, they took it seriously. And that's why in the second book of Corinthians that we have, which is actually the book of 3rd Corinthians, but we lost the first one, by the way. Side note, you're probably like, what the heck? Did we, lo we lost a portion of the Bible? No, we didn't, but that's for another discussion another day. In this book, 2 Corinthians, he talks about, I was determined, in chapter 2, he says, I was determined that I wouldn't come to you again in sorrow. Because if I make you sad, who's going to make me happy? Like, if I come to be the bearer of bad news all the time, then how are you going to be my joy? And I, I want our next visit to be pleasant. I don't want to have to go through that heartache again. And he tells him later on in the book, he's like, that guy that we said, like, kick him out of the church because he's sleeping with his, you know, mother-in-law, really awkward. He says, that person, you don't want him to be given over to Satan and just be held by his sin and held by guilt and held by shame. It's time to bring him back. So 2 Corinthians is all about restoration. And instead of that second visit, Paul says, because I'm so committed to you, I want to write this letter I want to give you a letter instead of giving you another visit and, and risk the chance of us having further disagreements and having further heartbreak. I'm going to write you this compassionate letter instead. It was precisely because Paul was so committed to the church itself, regardless of how they acted, regardless of the wacky things they do, that he decided to write this letter and not show up the second time. And so he says in verse 18 and 19, he says, as surely as God is faithful, our word does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. You see, here's the first thing we need to realize tonight. Commitment is much more than keeping perfect attendance and having a perfect track record with your friends. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you were one of those kids that I always envied. One of those kids in school that was at school every single day of your life. At the end of the school year, you get a little certificate, you get a trophy, perfect attendance, great job. But here's the thing you probably realized. I'm not accusing any of you, but this is what I've realized. You can have perfect attendance and still not show up. What I mean by that is you can have perfect attendance, you show up to class, but you're not there mentally. You're there physically, you're not there emotionally. Just having perfect attendance, checking a box says that this person was present, doesn't mean that they're committed. And it can be true of your relationships with your friends. Yeah, let me spend time with you, but you're on your phone the whole time. Yeah, I'll sit down with you, I'll talk, whatever you need, but you're not there. You're just showing up without actually giving them the time that is required of a committed relationship. So commitment means laying your life down and sacrificing your time in order to honor God and bless others. Much more than having perfect attendance and a perfect track record. It means self-sacrifice. That I'm willing to give up certain liberties that I have, certain time that I have for the, for the other person's sake. Imagine going to a hospital because you broke your ankle. You're bleeding. You're almost in a state of shock or panic because you, you did it pretty bad. Maybe you're skateboarding. Maybe you're rock climbing like me. There's all different kinds of scenarios. Your ankle's broken. You're at the hospital. And maybe you've had this happen too. You've broken a bone. Anyone break a bone before? I mean, a couple people. 
You go to the hospital and you're like, you imagine if it's your first visit, you imagine that immediately you get in and there's a stretcher, there's doctors, there's x-rays, and people are just like, are you okay? But you get there and you're in the waiting room and it's like two hours, three hours later. Well, doesn't anyone care? I'm dying. I'm bleeding. I will die. No one cares. Imagine going to a hospital and it's, it's that to the nth degree. It seems like everyone's so busy and no one is taking the time to sit down and care about my ankle. What would happen for that person? They wait maybe 24 hours and no one sees them. What would their conclusion be at the end of their hospital visit? They would say, I went to be cared for, but there is no one that I could count on. You realize there are a lot of hurting people out there that just wish that there was somebody that they could depend on. People that have wounds inside their soul and said, I just wish that I could just talk to someone about what I'm struggling with. Talk to somebody who would care and be willing to sit down with me and bear this burden with me. Once again, this reminds us that commitment is messy. That's why Jesus told Peter, he's like, you love me? Okay, then feed my sheep. Show it by your actions. Now it's time to move on. I forgive you, but let's move on. Go on and sit no more. It's time to take action when it means loving other people. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this. By this we know love, that he, being Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? In other words, he's saying, if you see a person who's in need and you have stuff, and you're like, eh, I don't really want to help that person. How can you say that God's love has transformed your heart? It's like the parable of the Good Samaritan. You see a person who's bleeding, a person who's desperate, a person who's dying right in front of you. And would you just walk aside? Oh, well, somebody's going to get to him eventually. The priest did that. The Levite did that. But there was one person, a Samaritan, who saw him. And despite the fact that he had racial barriers, despite the fact that there were things, every reason to not want to talk to him, he said, I want to step down. And I want to show this person love, show him care, change his plans, put him on his own donkey. He, he bound up his wounds, brought him to the inn, and paid whatever he owed. No matter what it took, he was willing to sit down with him. Maybe you never realized this before, but you know your parents? At some point in time, when you were little, they fed you even when they didn't feel like it. Imagine like your parents, when you're about a year old, maybe you're a newborn, they hear you crying in the middle of the night, and you're just like, ugh. You know what? They've cried so much this week. I've had it with them, and I'm going back to bed because I don't feel like feeding them. I don't feel like taking care of them. You would have died. You wouldn't be here right now. But someone said, I think you're worth it despite how I feel because I love you. And we are to show that same love to other people, even if we don't have kids. That's the point. Also says in verse 19, the reason is, for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and and no. You see, we make commitments in order to reflect God's nature. That's our second lesson, is that we make commitments 
in order to reflect God's nature. God says it in his word, be holy, be different. Why? What's the reason? For I am holy. And we are to be like Jesus, to be like God, to emulate him and to show his love to this world. God's nature is one that he cannot be other than the way that he is. Isaiah talks about the Lord of hosts has sworn saying, surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. As I have purposed, so it shall stand. God doesn't change his mind. If he says he's going to be there, he is the yes. He is the amen. The so be it. I will be there. And you can count on it. You can depend on it. And we are, as Christians, supposed to partner with Christ to spread his nature and his goodness over all of creation. That was the intended design in Genesis. When God created Adam and Eve, it wasn't just so they could hang out. They were to be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because they're spreading the image of God all throughout the earth. And the image isn't just like, oh, it looks human. Humans look like God physically. That's not what it means. God isn't a physical being. What it means is just as God is a free agent, we also have free will. Just as God has love, is love, we also have a degree of love to share that with the rest of this world. And we are to do that in the same way with commitments. Here's the third thing. And it's found in verse 17. It says in the latter half, it says, do you think that I'm like the people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? The third thing we need to realize tonight is the world's decisions depend on feelings when the church's decisions should depend on God's will. Think about that. The world's decisions, what, what influences a person's decision? It's their own personal feelings. But you and I, if we're Christians, we're Christ followers, our decisions depend on God's will. And so Paul is saying, you think I'm like the people of the world that say yes, and eh, I don't really feel like, maybe I'll come if I feel like it, but I don't feel like coming the second time, so I'm not going to come. So Paul is reminding them that he's not making decisions based on his feelings anymore. That's not how you make a decision anymore once you're a follower of Christ. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, live your life in order to worship the Lord. Now, instead, we are to make decisions according to the will of God. He actually says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 as like a little caveat in verse 18 through 20. He says, I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. That's what he was saying. He says, listen, I'm not going to make this decision on my own. I want to know that I'm making this decision because God wants me to. So here's the thing. And maybe you've never thought about this before. But the world has no choice but to decide on make decisions based on its feelings. Why? Because they have no God to pray to. A person who's an atheist isn't going to go home and say, you know, let me think about it. And atheist God, what do you think I should do? They don't talk to anyone. They just make the decision based on what they want to do. But you and I are supposed to, at least, not make a decision based, based on your feelings just because you feel like it, but based on whether or not it's God's will. So it might look like this. You know, I really, really, really think that person is really, really cute. And I feel an attraction towards them. But let me ask God, is this a relationship you want me to enter in? An atheist doesn't think like that. 
they don't go home and like, you know, the God of Molech, what do you think I should do? They don't believe in God. They don't inquire of a person's decision other than themselves. They might get advice from somebody else, but ultimately, this world's philosophy is be who you want to be. Do what you want to do. Be true to yourself. And everyone's encouraging us to just act on what we feel like doing. Be true to your heart. Listen to your heart. Follow your heart. And if you feel like something is good, then it can't be wrong. Instead, we as a church are supposed to always consult God, is this something that you want me to do? And if it's something you want me to do, then we do it. Why? Because Jesus is God's ultimate yes, and he always does what the Father says. That's why he said, my food, the things, the things that sustain me, is to do the will of my Father. He didn't come of his own accord, but to do the, the will of the Father, the one who sent him. That's why he said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. So the other thing about this is if God is leading you to do something, then you got to do it. You need to obey the voice of the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the blood of rams. What God has always been looking for is simple obedience. A person laying down their free will and saying, you know what, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do and not follow our own feelings. And yet, how much of our decision-making is rooted in our feelings? You know, I'll hang out with you, but let's see, like, I want to see what else is going on throughout the week. That's what you're thinking. Yeah, I'll call you if I feel, if I remember if I remember, I'll call you. Rather than saying, you know what? Is God calling me to enter into this relationship, this friendship, hold this person accountable? Because then I want to be faithful. So let's talk about some reasons why we don't commit. What are some reasons why we don't do this? This sounds good. There are good reasons that we, we should commit, right? And we're reflecting God's nature as we do. But why don't we do it? Well, number one, we talked about it a little bit. Number one, the reason why, the number one reason why we don't commit is selfishness. Selfishness. We want to base things on our own feelings. We want to do things according to our own will. But realize when you commit, when we say yes to God, we are saying no to self. You will be doing contrary things to the things that you naturally want to do. If you ever want to know like a perfect example of this, just read Romans chapter 7. The guy goes back and forth like, the things that I don't want to do, I do. The things that I do want to do, I don't do. That's weird. I have this internal battle, but who am I struggling with? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 verse 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What he's saying is to do the will of God often means denying what you naturally feel is right. So maybe you're thinking, you know, I would love to serve in the church. You served at VBS. I would love to serve on a regular basis, but I just don't really feel like it. I would love to go on a mission trip to Philadelphia. I would love to serve in the community, clean the teen center. I don't feel like it. I love what Pastor Lloyd said in a message once. He said, the reason why you commit is so when you don't feel like doing it, you do it anyway. That's why you make a commitment in the first place. It's not supposed to be based on your feelings. 
who voluntarily wants to clean toilets in the church? Like says, oh man, you're going to get me stoked on life if I, of my own free time, woke up at six in the morning, drove to church and cleaned toilets. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. This sounds like a lot of fun. And yet, someone commits, says, you know what, it'd be great not cleaning toilets, you know, like that needs to be done, but doing it unto the Lord, that's fun. Being able to do it because no one asked me, but just saying of my own free volition, I'm going to teach myself how to deny myself, how to resist my uh, desires, making a good habit. You want a good rule of thumb? The things that you want to do, don't do those things. The things that you, you like naturally don't want to do, you should do those things. Just as a general rule of thumb, I think it's, it's always helpful for me to, to be asking myself, is this something I naturally want to do? Because maybe that's not the thing I should do. Instead, we prioritize our feelings over the need itself. Imagine in the parable of the Good Samaritan. We know it's a fictional story, but let's just imagine it actually happened. And the Samaritan, as he's walking down this road, he sees the dying man and says, you know, I don't really feel called to the dying man ministry. So maybe if there's people that feel called to dying people, we can find them. He drops what he's doing, denies himself, and takes care of the person because the person in front of them was in a dire situation. And because of love compelling him, he went and did it. So what if the thing that God is calling you to do, what if, let's go a step further. What if, everyone look up here. What if the thing that God has created you to do is not something you would immediately sign up for? Hmm. Ever think about that? You're looking for your calling in life and you just, you've kind of eliminated the possibilities in your mind. You're like, there's no way that I will find my calling joining the ushers ministry. Just not going to happen. I will probably never find my calling being a janitor in the church. Wouldn't happen. I'll never be called of God as I'm babysitting. You don't know that. How do you know that? I actually know this pastor who's a, a friend of Lloyd, and I've met him a couple times. He wrote a book. He's, he's spoken here. He wrote a book called Faithful Service. He was a janitor at Costa Mesa under Chuck Smith. That was his job, and he eventually became a pastor. And all these people wanted to be in the ministry, and so they would start off with him. And so they'd be like, I really feel called to pastoral ministry and be, like, involved in the church. It's like, great. Hands him a broom. He's like, you can start here. And then he's like, I don't know what happened. Like, I come up and check on them in an hour, and they'd be gone. What happened to their faithfulness? What happened to their dedication? They were so passionate to the ministry. They're like, well, I don't really, I don't feel called to this. That's your job. But how do you know that this won't be a road that God uses to teach you some things and also to open some doors? And it did for this one pastor. Junior high ministry is not something I immediately thought of. It's not, it's not like I was... Okay, I mean, practical for you guys as high school students. Sorry to you that are new freshmen. Junior high kids usually are not very cool to high school kids. Just a general statement. They're embarrassing to you because they're your little siblings or just to remind you of an awkward stage of your life. Not here to offend anyone. I'm just saying as a statement of fact, usually people look at that ministry and like, uh, I don't know if that's cool. Like children's ministry, sweet because they're adorable and... When you're in college, you know, maybe college ministry or even high school ministry. If I can serve in high school ministry, that's cool. But like, uh, I don't know, preteens, not, not sure about that. But someone came up to me and said, hey, would you consider doing junior high ministry? 
just never thought about it. And I said, oh, I guess, yeah, maybe I'll pray about it. And I just decided to do it. And junior high ministry, and you guys know, some of you that are older forgot, junior high ministry is amazing. It's so much fun. Some of my best friends I met through the, the junior high ministry, a lot of you I met in junior high, you just get to be wacky and crazy and get people excited about Jesus. That's it. Just have a lot of fun. I love junior high ministry. And here's the thing. Unless I had signed up, I would have never known how much I would have enjoyed junior high ministry. I would have never known. That's why the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, plant a variety of crops because you don't know which ones are going to grow. Perhaps they all will. And many of us are trying to find the right crop to plant. If I find the right seed, the right soil, the right time, then I will find the right calling. When God's saying, why don't you just, by process of elimination, try a whole bunch of different things and just figure it out. That's your job right now. Your job is not to work, you know, maybe I'm not demeaning anyone who works. I worked um, the day I turned 16, my 16th birthday. I worked at Peter Pank Diner before, you know, before they closed and stuff. Like, I believed in working throughout high school. But your job ultimately should be figuring out what was I created to do. Same thing for Andy Dean. Andy Dean was hired as a tech intern here at the church. And then he was thrown into junior high ministry when he didn't want to do it. And then he realized he had a whole goofy side he never like saw before. And God grew him into the calling that he is today now overseeing the Bible college. So here's the thing. A servant goes where the need is because no matter how inconvenienced we are, it always pales in comparison to what Christ did for us. That's what a servant is. A servant doesn't think, what do I feel like doing? Remember, it's not about your feelings. It's about what is God calling me to do? And even if it's not convenient for me, I will say yes to the Lord because he's calling me. And no matter how inconvenienced I am, it'll pale in comparison to what Jesus Christ has done for me. That he went to the cross and he didn't second guess himself. And like, ah, do I really want to die for Joe Fisher? Do I, I mean, like, do I have to go all the way to the cross? Do I have to carry the cross? Instead, he did it, despising the shame, not regarding any man, any person. He says, I, I want to show this love to you. I think a lot of people, and I, I heard a pastor talk about this the other day, um, really wise pastor from another church. He's talking about, like, it's, it seems like our cultural idol right now is authenticity, being true to yourself. And so many of you, you're in a position where you're like, ah, but I don't want to do something that I don't feel like doing because then I would be fake. I would be doing it and it wouldn't be fun. And I'm going to do the ministry and I'm not going to have a smile on my face and people are going to say, why are you doing this anyway? And I'm going to force it. And you're looking for a fun ministry. Here's the thing. The answer is not find a fun ministry. The answer is let God change your heart. We talked about, it. maybe you remember, you probably know because I taught this in junior high. We talked about, um, this is probably 2011 now. I don't even know if any of you were in junior high back then. Uh, we talked about, uh, it's not okay to lie. And so you should be telling the truth. And what, what defines a lie? What defines the truth? Being able to speak to other people in love. And one of the things we talked about is people will talk about, you know, they'll exaggerate. And that's not necessarily a lie. You're not lying just because you're saying, like, it was amazing. It wasn't really amazing. Like, we saw 10,000 people come to know the Lord. It was absolutely 9,999. You lied. 
You know, there's a difference between that. But what we also talked about in talking about lying is often people, people are wanting to be authentic and they'll speak their mind, right? So a person asks you the ultimate question, do I look fat? And you're like, well, I need to speak the truth and speak in love. So yes, you look fat. Oh, I'm sorry that didn't come out in, in love, but I'll try better next time. And we think like we're just being honest. We're just being the way we are. Did you think I'm like annoying? Yes, you're totally annoying. I'm sorry, I'm just being honest, right? We say that. Now the problem isn't your honesty. The problem is your view of reality. What needs to change is your heart, not what you said. Let God change your heart so suddenly you're not bothered. Like, yeah, that's really annoying. It used to bother me. It doesn't bother me anymore. You know, I have a different view of women now. I have a different view of people. I'm like, I don't, I don't even think about that. Like fat, like skinny fat, like whatever. When God changes your, mar- changes, your mar- changes your heart and changes your mind, you see things differently. And that's how we're to approach it. Being authentic just really means, at this point, what's more important is letting God change your heart so your authentic heart that comes out is the one that God wants you to reveal. Second reason why we don't commit is this. We're afraid of making a commitment that we can't keep. Afraid of making a commitment that we can't keep. In Exodus chapter 3, we find the story of Moses talking to God in the burning bush. What does he say? He says, Lord, you know, I know you're calling me to, to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt, but I think you're confused. I think you got the wrong guy for the job. I am not a good talker. I slur. I stutter. I think you got the wrong guy. You need to send somebody else. So then he's thinking of every other excuse to get out of this. Oh, man, what do I do? He says, well, what do I So I'm going to, so let me get this straight. I'm going to go to the people of Israel and say, don't worry, guys. God spoke to me, and we're all going to be saved. Just follow me. We're going to get out of here. And then I'm going to go to Pharaoh and say, hey, um, yeah, so the the God um, that you don't believe in, oh, man, what do I even call him? There's a God that you can't see, that you can't worship because of your idols and stuff. He wants you to let everybody go. The thousands of Jews that you're holding captive, we're all supposed to leave. What do you think? Hmm? And so Moses is like, this is ridiculous. What what do we even tell them? He doesn't know who you are. And God says, tell them that I am has sent you. He's like, that doesn't make sense. I don't know what you're saying. Tell them that I am. That's not a name. But what God was speaking to him in the moment is, stop thinking about who you are. Think about who I am. Why are you thinking about yourself? Why are you thinking about what you're capable of doing and what you're not capable of doing? If I am real and I am sending you, that's what matters. So the question is not, are you capable? The question would be for you, is God calling you? If you're afraid today that you're going to make a commitment that you can't keep, maybe a fear of man, you're going to disappoint people, a fear of disappointing God, that you're not able to live out this calling, just ask yourself, is God calling you? Maybe you're afraid with God calling you to start a Bible club, starting a prayer group. But what if I start it and no one shows up? What if I start it and it gets really boring? What if I do a bad job? Don't ask, are you capable? Ask, are you called? Maybe you're, you're asking, like, maybe I want to go evangelizing, but I don't know, like, 
Like maybe it's weird or maybe it's going to fail. Don't ask if you're capable. Ask, are you called? With people, you're afraid of disappointing people and so you won't make a commitment. I would hold you accountable. I'll call you once a week, but let's be realistic. I'm not going to call you and you're not going to call me. So let's just give up. You know, I would love to be discipled or I would love to disciple you, but let's be realistic. I just don't have the time. You don't have the time, so let's not do it. I would love to make a commitment to say I can hang out with you, but I've been really bad at hanging out, so I'm not going to hang out with anyone ever. The answer is not, are you capable? The answer is, is God calling you to fellowship, discipleship, to accountability? Those things sound pretty biblical to me. And I think we all have to be willing to sacrifice the time to do the things that God's calling us to do. Short little one that I want to mention as well. Number three, the reason why we don't commit is fear of making a commitment you will regret. Right? Similar to the last one, but sometimes you're afraid of stepping into something and then being a complete failure, regretting it for the rest of your life. But if it's God's will, then we can take a step in faith. Now we're going to very quickly go over some benefits of committing as we close this evening. Benefits of committing to God. Number one, committing to God in faith draws us closer to him. Being a person who says yes to God as a byproduct, we will draw closer to God. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So as you say yes God, I will obey. Yes, God, I will commit. You see more of his love and more of his power because you're taking a step closer towards him. And the Bible says, if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. All throughout the Bible, we see God calling people to commit to him and taking a step of faith. Imagine if in the Bible, Noah never built the ark. Well, we wouldn't be here <laughs> if he just said, you know, this sounds kind of ridiculous. Like you're telling me to convince a whole bunch of people that it's going to have water fall out of the sky. I guess you call it rain because we've never experienced this before. But apparently there's water in the sky like there's water in the, in the ground. And it's just going to fall on everybody and everyone's going to die. And I'm supposed to build a giant boat and everyone's supposed to get on. That sounds ridiculous. But I believe you, I'm going to do it anyway. Imagine if Esther did not stand up to the king. Remember her cousin Mordecai said to her, listen, if you, don't, if you don't do this, if you don't stand up to the king, deliverance for Israel will come from some other place. But here's the thing. Who knows if you weren't put here for such a time as this. Don't think about regretting because you answered God's call. Think about regretting because you missed it. Do you want to go the rest of your life wondering what could have happened if you'd only said yes to God? We'll never know what life would have been like if faithful people had not chosen to take a risk and answer God's call. Perfect example. 